Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Come to you from underneath the peach blossom. It's time for an episode of Be Awesome. Find positivity throughout your life and work. Just like our mascot rooster, Steve the Jerk. Hello, Be Awesome listeners. I am in Aftershock, Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, after my trip to visit Santa Claus in the North Pole. Having a great week. We're looking to push out a number of podcasts because I am around a lot of awesome people. And the person I'm about to introduce is one of the most awesome I've had the luxury to get to know over the years. Uh, His name is Stan Lujan, and he's from Alaska. Um, I've known him for going on probably 10-plus years. His wife is an executive director of an association that I delivered a keynote at and been to your house and we'll get into all that other stuff but we got a bit of a history and and you've just been for me such a a a beacon of positivity every time I see you you're smiling you're happy you're involved you're engaged we're going to get into yoga and all this stuff but Stan welcome to the the empty ballroom before the banquet here I appreciate you giving a few minutes of your time before the storm the calm before the storm absolutely so Stan Tell us, tell us a little bit about you. Give us your story here, and then let's get into some of the stuff that you and I have uh, had for fun and games and, and going through life. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would probably start out by saying that uh, I. it's kind of interesting. We kind of know each other through labels, like what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, What have you been doing for a living? Where did you come from? What city did you live in? Those kinds of things. But when I look at myself, I sort of look at uh, sort of the, the, the roots of who I am. And it kind of brings uh, to the surface the last couple of weeks. I, I, my, my sister passed away a, a year younger than me. She was the first of seven kids. We were a, a family of seven when we were growing up. And she was uh, very close to me, and I was very close to her. So it got me to think about all my childhood and growing up with her and uh, how difficult it was for the whole family. My my father was a, a pretty dysfunctional kind of dad. He was a hard work ethic oriented person. He worked in the steel mill uh, and the in the coal mines before that. And so he was very blue collar, uh, very strict. Uh, he was a disciplinarian. He was, uh, you know, he, he really did, uh, uh, you know, a lot of damage to our family in terms of, uh, you know, just physical abuse. Uh, spare the rod and spoil the child was his philosophy. and. Uh, and so we all, all seven kids, uh, left home before we were all 15 and a half, 16 years old. We all ran away. That was so, it was so compelling for us to go somewhere else to get away from, uh, I guess, the, the sadness and the uncomfortableness and uh, the, uh, the, the tragedy of living in our home that life seemed to be kind of like an oyster for us, like it's got to be better. And so when we all left, we all went on our own adventures. Uh, I, I did as well. I lived in the back of a, uh, I was at that time, I was a, a, a paper boy. And so I delivered papers on Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, I also worked as a cleanup boy in a donut shop. It was a part bakery and a, and a part of a restaurant. And it was owned by an Italian family. And so when I left home, 
the owner of the baker bakery uh, said that I could stay there if I wanted to. So he had a little spot back uh, by the flower sacks, and he put a cot up, and we put a little bedroom back there and stuff. And so I stayed there for the first three or four year, for three or four months, and then I took a bus ride to Denver. That was about a hundred miles south of Denver in Colorado. I lived in Pueblo, and uh, <clears throat> I walked around downtown by the Gates Tire Company. That was a big uh, industry there. And there was a donut shop that had a for sale for, for a, uh, a hire sign. It says, uh, need baker from 10 at night till 6 in the morning. And so I went in and I said, hey, I, you know, I worked in a donut shop and you know I, I didn't really make donuts, but I cleaned up and stuff. And so I think I could learn how to make them. And so the owner, Dick Pearson, looked at me and he said, well, he said, uh, it's going to be hard work, but and, and, I, and I don't expect any sloughing off. You got to be there on time. You got to work hard, and you know. And, and if it works out, then we'll see. I'll put you on probation for the first couple of weeks. And so, consequently, I worked for him for the next three or four months. Uh, dropped out of school at that time, uh, and he met with me uh, about three or four months later and said, "Stan," he said, "You're getting 85 cents an hour from me, and I'd like to give you a five cent an hour raise." But I'll tell you what. You're not in school, are you? And I said, no, I, I dropped out of school. And I kind of gave him my story about leaving home. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a 15 cent an hour raise, a 15 cent an hour raise if you get back in school. And I said, well, don't you need your parents' signature to get back in school? He said, no, he said, my best friend is the, uh, is the uh, wrestling coach at the South High School in Denver. And his girlfriend is a counselor. And uh, I've already talked to him, and if you want to uh, get in school, then we can make it work, but it's up to you. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to ask you ever again this question. But uh, it was a Friday, and he said, if you can let me know Monday, one way or the other, and if you don't, you're a good worker. I'll give you the five cent an hour raise, and we just keep continue on. So Monday morning, I went in. <clears throat> or Monday morning, I went in and had coffee with him, and I was going to work that night, and uh, I said, I decided to get back into school. So that was... That was a touchy moment for me. Yeah. So he was one of those uh, uh, forks in the road that we all sort of face a choice of doing this or a choice of doing that. And uh, so Dick Pearson really created an opportunity for me that I had somebody that had confidence in me and uh, and a vision uh, that I could do something. So I thought, wow, this is a good opportunity. So I started working uh, for him, uh, continued working for him, went to school. I didn't have a lot of friends but because I, I was working a lot. And I just uh, made things work. I graduated from high school. Uh, and then beyond that, I ended up getting four different degrees. I went to the undergraduate school, and then I went to I got a four-year degree in psychology. I got a four-year degree in education. I got a master's degree in education. I got an MBA at Berkeley. I got a PhD. Uh, school was a place that I felt that I could really contribute something and I could be successful at. So, uh, you know, that was a point in time where I could have done, I mean, I, had, I was exposed to the drug world being on the streets. You know, I had a little place that I rented. It was $4.50 a week uh, at the Gates Tire Company. They had a lot of uh, casual labor that they hired, so they provided housing for them. And so that's where I, I lived for those, uh, those three, four years. Wow. That is amazing. I, I, you've never shared that story with me. 
and uh, that's just amazing. Uh, uh, there's no other word for it. And whether it was the the ten cents difference an hour, I believe that I, I don't know. This is the first time I'm hearing, it, but I would mm-hmm. say that the feeling of someone believing in you and there was hope, and that the opportunity was there. I don't think mm-hmm. you needed the two days to think about it. Mm-hmm. But what you did and what you've become and the person that you are today that people get to know would never think of the struggle and challenge that you had growing up. That's amazing. Um, so you got all those degrees and you then did what? What did you, what have you done? Well, since I, uh, when, when, when I graduated from, uh, from my first, uh, I, I took a, it was a two year program. It was an associate degree was calling the helping services because at that time it was before the it was right when the civil rights movement uh, the, the law was passed in 1965 and uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities for for people that were black or Hispanic in, in our country uh, but when the civil rights movement passed they started providing opportunities for minority people to go to college and, and to get and, and to take advantage of those opportunities so I lined up and you know decided to, to go into college and uh, and I got some some grants I got um, you know a couple loans and and I started school uh, and uh, realizing that that was just a, a beginning point I remember I worked uh, when I finished working for Dick I got a job at uh, Kmart as a as a um, kind of like a warehouse person hauling stuff back and forth. And then there was an opening as an assistant manager in the men's department, so I applied. Uh, Co- uh, uh, Nathan uh, Cawthorn, really a nice guy, uh, was my boss. And uh, after about seven or eight months, he said, Stan, he said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I said, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to be a manager like you at Kmart. That'd be great. He said, we said, well... He said, "You and I need to talk." So in the next couple of weeks, we used to have coffee uh, at the. At that time, Kmart had its own little deli and stuff. We used to go in there, and we used to be able to smoke at that time too. I didn't smoke, but he did, and he was sitting there smoking a cigarette. And he said, "You know how old I am, Stan?" And I said, "Well, no, Nathan. I, I really never thought about that." He said, "Well, I'm 44 years old. I've got a wife. Don't have any kids. We probably won't have any. But you know, I started working for Kmart about 10 years ago, and I thought I could go beyond where I'm going now." And I've realized that I'm kind of in a dead-end spot. And I could see if you did what I'm doing, you could end up where I'm at today. He said, you have a lot more potential. Uh, and I said, well, you know, there's these managers, these Kmart store managers that they, that they work with and hire. They call them Kmart Ones. And I said, I bet I could be one of those guys uh, because they look like it's a, it's, a, it's a good career path because they eventually run one of these stores. He said, can't do that. Why not? He said, you don't have a college degree. I says, well, doesn't work? Doesn't hard work really get replace a college degree if you work hard and you have enough intellect? Can't you really do those kind of jobs? He says, that's not the world the way the world works. You got to have this piece of paper in your back pocket. You can still have the intellect. You can still have the drive, motivation. But if you don't have that piece of paper in your back pocket, uh, you're not. You're only going to go so far, Stan. He said, and that's what's always kept me back. Uh, and he said, I think you ought to go to college. And I think you have the potential. So that was an, an, another turning point for me. So uh, I decided to really, you know, put my head into university work and really move forward in that. And so I realized that I was always going to be, at some point, always hit a hit a wall if I didn't figure out how to how to, how the world worked. Mm-hmm. 
And, and it wasn't the college degree made you a better man or a better woman or a better human being. It was just one of those things that we, we a standard we put in, in our society that says if you don't have this, then you can't get to the next step. Uh, and so if you have potential, you're going to have to get that in spite of whether you want to or not, but that'll get you around the corner to that next level. Mm-hmm. And so I started learning a little bit about life and how you get through life. You sort of have to figure out the big picture mm-hmm. and figure out how you fit into it and what you need to do. It may not be what you want to do initially, but if you have a long-term goal, then you eventually you manage to get to that goal. Yep. And so I kind of learned from people like Ivan and, uh, and, and Dick Pearson and those kinds of folks in my life sort of sort of how to the lessons in getting through life and Mm -hmm. those have been instrumental in in, i think my success all my life yeah and and how long you been in alaska uh this is my 40th year i came in 1978 i was in the peace corps in east africa when i graduated from high school i'm from college i didn't know quite what i was going to do uh and so i thought well i wanted to give back to the world somehow and at that time the vietnam war just finished uh and i thought well i i want to give something back so I had heard about this program that uh, that the Kennedys put together, mm-hmm. uh, Peace Corps, and so I applied, and uh, I filled out all the questionnaires that they had me fill out. I went through some interviews, and uh, you put countries in preference of where you'd like to go. And this country I had heard a lot about Tasmania, it's close to Australia. I said, "Boy, I'd like to go there." So. Uh, I came back two weeks later. They called me back for a final interview, and they said, we'd like to put you uh, one of our posts in. Um, and uh, I said, great. Uh, would I be going to Tasmania? He says, no, you didn't, you didn't put Tasmania. I said, yeah, I did. No, you put Tanzania. I said, really? So I looked, and it was Tanzania. Yeah. And I had hit the wrong line with a check mark. Yeah. So I said, well, I've never been there either. So I went to Tanzania for two years. It was like an incredible experience. <laughs> so when I finished the Tanzanian experience, and at that time, uh, Andrew Young was, was uh, the ambassador to the United Nations, and uh, 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 Cyrus Vance was Secretary of State, and they came into to Tanzania a couple of times to look at how things were going in the country, and the Peace Corps workers were all pulled in from the villages yeah. that we worked in and got to meet those folks. That was a lot of fun, pretty inspirational for me. But when I finished, uh, I didn't really want a normal teaching experience somewhere in the world and there they were hiring in alaska for teachers uh on a yukon river uh in an in in, in an eskimo village a uh, place called kotlik so i called the superintendent uh and he talked he, he answered the phone and uh we talked for about 15 20 minutes he told me about how great the fishing was and you know and he said he was a former priest but he had an affair with one of the nuns they ended up getting married and so he got excommunicated from the catholic church but he had a degree in in education and then he got an administrative degree and he eventually became a superintendent of schools and uh, i said well when can we get together to do the interview uh he said hell stan i'm sending you a contract that was snail mail during that time no internet or anything so he said i'm sending you a contract i want you to work for me so i ended up in alaska in 1978 after the peace corps Wow. And, yeah. and just as a, a frame of reference, and, and I'm not familiar with that community, but mm-hmm. many communities in Alaska are remote, they're small, they're mm-hmm. spread out. I mean, mm-hmm. people don't understand the sheer size of Alaska. It's like yeah. three times the landmass of Texas. And, you know, you know, for a, a, 
reference point, there's about 150,000 kids that go to school in Alaska, mm-hmm. and there's about 5 million in Texas. So mm-hmm. it's really spread out. What, what was that area like, and what was that experience like? Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're right, Josh. Alaska is about one-fifth the size of the United States in the land mass. It's huge. The district, school districts are as big as the state of Montana. Some are bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just huge. And there may only be 8 or 9, 10, 15 villages, Eskimo villages or Inupiaq villages or Athabascan villages or a combination of both in a district. So when you get sent out to these posts, it's kind of like being in the Peace Corps in a way. Uh, and you work for the state. At that time, it was the state-operated system or Bureau of Indian Affairs. Now it's all state-run uh, with uh, regional uh, education attendance areas. But it's, a, it's an amazing experience out there. It really is going to a third-world country, except you're in a first-world country right. here in the United States. And Alaska only became a state in 1959, it's, so that's where we became the 50th state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've not been a state that long. So at that time, we were a territory, federal territory, like Guam yep. uh, and other places that, that have been territories. So we really have... Uh, it's a very primitive place, and there was a lot of opportunities. That's what I liked about Alaska. It's a place where no matter what your contribution uh, was or is at this time, there's always opportunities to, 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 to find success mm-hmm. if you have something to offer. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where you get to know a lot of people quickly because it's even though there's a, it's a landmass, it's, it's immense. In the landmass, there's few people, mm-hmm. uh, and so you get to know people quickly, and your reputation is important. And your credibility is important, so it keeps you kind. Makes you, it, it keeps you being kind to people because you're going to meet them all over the place. You meet them in Kotzebue. You're going to meet them again in Nome. You're going to meet at the at the airport in Anchorage or in Valdez. You're going to run in these people all the time. So it forces you to be sort of the the, the best neighbor you can be, the best mm-hmm. human being you can be. So you you try to find the best you. Uh, I think Alaskans try to find the best themselves because they know there's high stakes of not being good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting because I was I was uh, I flew up to the Fairbanks and then the North Pole. Uh, drove up to North Pole yesterday and then came back to Fairbanks. And on both instances at the Fairbanks Airport, mm-hmm. people interacted with each other mm-hmm. that didn't know that each other were going to be there. It was like just a close, mm-hmm. you know. And I go to Logan Airport, and yeah, I'll see people on occasion that I know, but mm-hmm. most of the time it's thousands of people just walking by each other that don't even recognize one another. Mm-hmm. And these people are, you know, hey, how's it going? What's happening? Mm-hmm. And they live they live probably hundreds of miles away from each other. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's pretty uh, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. And now you're in Juneau. You're, no, Juneau. you're mm-hmm. how old? Yeah, I'm 67 years old. I was a superintendent of schools for about... 12 years in Alaska in three different districts. Had a great time. Uh, And then after that, I retired. Mm -hmm. I went to Juneau primarily because it's really a performing arts capital of the country. It's kind of like Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. It's just got that kind of performing arts uh, environment that is just great. My wife's a cellist, uh, and so she wanted to join a symphony, and there's a symphony there. So 11 years ago, we moved to Juneau, mm-hmm. and uh, she became the executive director for the ASBO organization that, that you uh, are affiliated with, uh, and so I sort of had to recreate who I was at that time. Uh, so I got on a couple of boards. It was easy to do that with my expertise and background, and then I ended up uh, being on the symphony board. That's what I'm on right now, the, mm-hmm. the Juneau Symphony Board. I don't play instrument. Uh, I don't even play the kazoo very well, but I have the marketing experience and advertising, and you know I have the finance background, being an MBA graduate. So I have all those things I can add to building a good infrastructure, sustainability for you know an organization like a symphony, so they can go on and on in, into perpetuity. 
symphony. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what the goal of a board member is on the symphony. Yeah, you actually made a, a, a really great point. We had a, a few minutes here to talk beforehand, mm -hmm. and, you, and I asked you, you know, because you, you have such passion for the Juno Symphony and mm -hmm. for the arts in general, and, um, you know, I said I, I asked you, you know, what instrument do you play or do you play an instrument? Mm -hmm. You said, well, I don't, mm -hmm. and neither does most of our board or all of our board mm -hmm. for the purpose that we can focus on what's important, which is the success of the symphony. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a, um, you know, lots of people get into something because they're experienced with it or because mm -hmm. they're, they, they think that they know because they are a pianist or, or, or whatever. They think that they could be that great symphony mm -hmm board member, president, what have you, mm -hmm. and you, you recognize that, hey, I shouldn't be, a, uh, if I'm going to be a part of this, I probably shouldn't be an instrument player because mm -hmm. I'll focus more on the instrument mm -hmm. than I'll focus on the success of the actual organization yeah. or the business, mm -hmm. and I thought that was pretty mm -hmm. cool. Um, you know, we were going to do this podcast originally because we're talking about yoga mm -hmm. and, and, oh, and yoga, passion, right. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and I was going to do my first yoga uh, experience mm -hmm. with you because um, you have just, you, you just... Um, with yoga and with your the symphony and with your mini Cooper club that you got mm -hmm. going on in Juno and you just have such intensity and passion and excitement that it's it, it's almost contagious like just being around you whatever it is that you're into it's like I think I need to be a part of that mm -hmm. too mm -hmm. but at 67 years old you're jacked mm -hmm. I mean you are in great shape mm -hmm. solid and you're doing yoga seven times a week and twice on Tuesday. How mm -hmm. long have you been doing that? been doing it for about two and a half years. Two and a half yeah, years. Yeah, and I used to play tennis before that, and I was passionate about tennis. I played tennis five or six days a week, and I just had a great group of people that I was playing tennis with, and they were all anywhere from in their you know, mid-20s to 80s, uh, and they were great. And then during the tennis uh, season for the high school, we had we would play with the high school students to get them ready for their tournaments. Mm -hmm. they, and, and sometimes they'd, they'd just dust us. I mean, and, and, and sometimes we'd beat them. But it was a great camaraderie to kind of nurture some of those young folks. Mm -hmm. And they can hang out with us and stuff. We, we had a great time. Uh, but then I started having, uh, my back started going out about every six, seven months. It just because of the jolting and the movement, mm -hmm. that, you know, to pick up the, the forehand or the backhand. And I started realizing that my body was getting a little older. And it couldn't handle those quick, abrupt moves. And, and, and then I started getting plantar fascia on the bottom of my heel. And I used to go in for shots every six, seven months uh, to have a shot in my heel, a steroid shot to kind of relieve the pain. And then somebody said, Stan, why don't you try yoga? I think that would might really be good, the stretching and all those kind of things. So I started taking yoga just one or two times a week. And then uh, it, I just replaced uh, tennis with, with yoga. And it's just been become a way of life for me. It's great meditationally. Uh, it's great in terms of uh, just my physical fitness. Plantar's fascia left. My back problems are, have been, they've just been eradicated. I've not had a back problem since. My arthritis behind my toes, I, on my left foot, it's gone now. And and yoga has done that for me. And, the, and, and just being around this, this positive, spirited group of people, you mm -hmm. know, whether I do yoga in Austin, if I'm there on a business meeting, or whether I'm in Italy and I find a yoga studio, yoga people people that involve themselves in this are all there for self-improvement they're not there to compete with one another they're there to just to really rise to another level of their sort of like maslow's hierarchy of needs where you have the lowest level is food clothing and shelter mm -hmm. and the highest level of that pyramid is self-actualization continual improvement mm -hmm. that's kind of where the yoga folks are they know that they're not perfect but they know they want to continually improve mm -hmm. and that's kind of a nice group of people to 
I'd say to to be with at any age, and in my age, it's just a, a blessing to be around these folks. Yeah, let me take let me take a step back because I've just been kind of. This is something that's always of interest to me. That um, one of the greatest aspects that I find in someone is that when they go through incredible challenge in their life mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And it was probably generational. I would suspect that if you look back, and I don't know, mm-hmm. I would suspect your father probably went through some abuse when from his father or from his father's father. He did. That's, he did. It, that's, was a, it, was, it was a generational thing. So, yeah. so the most incredible thing that I see in people is when they break the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, do you ever take time to think about what it was that caused you to break the cycle because your dad could have broken the cycle mm-hmm. your dad's dad could have mm-hmm. broken the cycle whenever that whole mm-hmm. process started mm-hmm. someone could someone has to well, say at some point i don't want to put people through this yeah and you've made a ton of people happy and mm-hmm. you are so contagiously happy mm-hmm. every day that it's amazing mm-hmm. that no one would ever think but mm-hmm. do you ever think about why you did what you did the decisions that you made and the chances is it the opportunity that was given to you? I think that what helped me break the cycle was uh, those years living at home when I was young and seeing uh, my siblings, especially my older sisters and my younger sister who just passed away, uh, being abused. And I was just a little kid and uh, feeling like I couldn't do anything about it. And uh, just telling myself that I'm going to be a better person than that. And uh, I'm never going to... This cycle is ugly and it's horrible, and I don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. And and that was really uh, sort of climbing out of that kind of mentality instead of sort of feeling like somehow I have to abuse women because my father did that, Mm -hmm. or I had to abuse kids because my father did that. that. Well... Somebody has to make a change. Uh, there has to be a change. And I could say every one of my siblings uh, did that really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I'd say all of them did it really well. Maybe because my childhood was so severe mm-hmm. uh, that it was like black and white. There wasn't kind of a gray area with my dad. It was like he was so, so, so extreme that we, we kept saying, you know, we don't want to be like that. We want to feel safe. We want other people around us to feel safe. We want to create a world that my dad wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was, uh, I think if I sat with all my siblings, we'd probably think about it that way, mm-hmm. that we, it, you know, it's our turn. Right. He had his turn. It's our turn. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. It's it, it seems easy mm-hmm. on paper, but it's a hard thing to do when you look to those you, to your parents, to your it is. to your especially back and yeah. in, 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 you know in a different time mm-hmm. that that was kind of what you looked up to. Mm-hmm. So you didn't know what else to look at or look up to. And being on the by your, you know basically mm-hmm. by yourself at fifteen and a half mm-hmm. to not just say I'm just going to go with what I always know. But to say I'm going to do the opposite of mm-hmm. what I've always known, mm-hmm. and to do it so well yeah. and with such excellence and yeah. and class and mm-hmm. and appreciation, mm-hmm. I mean, you remember all these people that you know were an impact. I bet you have a, a, every person's name that's ever positively mm-hmm. impacted you as a remembrance, mm-hmm. and you appreciate it. I do, <clears throat> I, I do. I mean, there's been many, uh, and, and mostly in in my life, I think the most significant people in my life 
have been men, not not women. Mm -hmm. uh, and just because my mom was a very caring, loving person, she passed away a number of years ago, but she was caught up in a time in life in the 50s where men ran everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, she felt that she was trapped. Mm -hmm. And uh, But she... But aside from that, when we were together as a family and my father wasn't around, she was gentle, she was kind, she was loving, she was all those wonderful things. So, so I felt I got a lot of nurturing from her, mm -hmm. uh, but the relationship with the male in my life is what I really needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really didn't think of it sort of so so just strategically as I think of it now but at that time it just happened that I was all of a sudden here was Dick Pearson mm -hmm. willing to help me here was Ray Sarlo at the at the donut shop will uh, willing to take me in yeah and so I think that I looked for the male role model in my life to make to help me through this yeah. without it wasn't sort of a conscious decision. It was sort of like a need, a, a buried primal need that I had. And so, and, and so, you know, I could see most significant people in my life have been all male leaders, people that I've admired. They had characteristics that my dad didn't have, but I admired, and I try to emulate, and I try to learn from. And I think that's carried me. That's sort of hooked me and like you know like building a railroad it was one tr track at a, at a time as I moved through life and, and it's really helped yeah and I think that's a great point with regard to almost a mentor or, or, or someone there that didn't step in the place of your father but mm -hmm. stepped in a place of your father mm -hmm. in some capacity mm -hmm. to help yeah give you hope yeah well, all the research, uh, Josh, and I've read a lot of research being, you know, in school and universities as long as I have, is that the most important adult, the important person besides the, the mom or dad in a child's life is a mentor, an adult mentor. Those are more important. In fact, they suggest that if a parent really wants their child to grow, they don't just isolate them with themselves as the mm -hmm. two role models, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. They open their whole home to other adult role models to come into their child's life mm -hmm. because that's where they're really getting the give and take of what a world really looks like mm -hmm. uh, and that gives them a lot healthier perspective on you know how to deal with their own issues and how to solve their own problems and how to enjoy and embellish in special moments in their life to have all those people as role models out there and that really is helpful yeah uh, you know I can I can say in a, a relationship to that with with regard to the importance of that I know that my godparents were instrumental in my upbringing other adults that my uh, my parents had entrusted you know they were neighbors but great great friends and great they have family to me now mm -hmm. that they were instrumental to helping my growth outside of, of my my parents and mm -hmm. when my my father was not in, in my the picture mm -hmm. uh, early on in my childhood my grandparents and, and others that stepped up that each of them had a little a little piece of something that that helped fill that gap or that space mm -hmm. that I think were instrumental to helping me become mm -hmm. who I'm proud to be today mm -hmm. um, it's it's amazing to see and to think about and to know uh, to know you as long as I've known you and not know that history and sit here and go wow Mm -hmm. Stan just knocked me off my feet because mm -hmm. it's amazing. Again, it's a, I, I, don't, I wish I had a different word mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing greater for me than to see and hear about people's 
trials, tribulations, and challenges that mm-hmm. come out on the other side and go, you know what, this sucked. This was hard. This was difficult. I didn't know how to make donuts, but I was willing to. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had this one opportunity. I had this one opportunity. And I always say, you know, sometimes life, a good life or a bad life, is one yes or no or one decision away from mm-hmm. um, determining that. And you have to be really selective mm-hmm. on what you make for a choice in many situations. Mm-hmm. You might not get a second opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what if you took the five cents and just worked because you weren't sure, you weren't mm-hmm. confident in yourself? Mm-hmm. You took mm-hmm. the leap. I mean, you mm-hmm. took the step. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, a marshmallow test. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, the marshmallow test. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty interesting test because they come up with all these very expensive tests, the test kids, on their potential to grow and succeed mm-hmm. and how to predict success, future success. And the marshmallow test, it's a test, I think they came out uh, with this test in Sweden or, or uh, Germany, one of these communities. Uh, and they've written a lot of books about this. And it's, they have four-year-old kids in a room. They're all sitting in front of you. And you give them each a marshmallow. And you say, here's a marshmallow. And here's the clock. And when this little second hand gets to this little chicken, because that's where the 30 was, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. If you don't eat your marshmallow by then, I'll give you another marshmallow. But you certainly can eat the marshmallow if you want. Mm -hmm. But if you play with it, you roll it around, whatever you want to do, as long as you don't eat it, you get another one. You cash out with a second marshmallow. When it hits the next 30 second, you Mm -hmm. get another marshmallow. And so they, they, they tested these kids, hundreds and hundreds of them. And then for the next 25 years, they followed him. It was a historical study, yeah. a futuristic study. And it was, almost a, uh, it was almost a positive, perfect one correlation that the kids who could defer their gratification and get the second marshmallow and the third and the fourth ended up graduating from high school, going on to graduate school, being an engineer, being a doctor, being successful or whatever, they, they were a postal worker, they were successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the kids that couldn't delay their gratification couldn't wait. They just ate it. And in life, they just consumed without thinking about the long-term effect and how saving a little today is going to bring a better alternative later on if you do that. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and of course, the big, the, the big question is, can you teach kids to delay their gratification? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to really work with kids to help them do that, to delay their gratification, because it impacts everything they do. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they have a girlfriend, and now they're 14 or 15. Are they going to delay their gratification and wait to have sex until they're ready, or are they going to have it because they just want the marshmallow, because mm-hmm. they want it now? And it impacts every aspect of their life. So I always thought that was really interesting. So I think in me, I was able to delay my gratification for that degree for yeah. that moment uh, for whatever it was uh, that that delayed gratification really kept me going and I mm-hmm. think that was probably built into my DNA possibly or somehow I learned that and that was important for me to succeed mm-hmm. and resilience yeah. an ability to be resilient under the worst scenario anybody could think of people that were in Auschwitz and mm-hmm. the people that survived psychologically okay they had this sense of resilience what what makes one person resilient mm-hmm. and another person not? Those are going to be age-old questions we're going to keep uh, looking at and trying to discover the answers to. 
but well, I think I had resilience. Yeah, well, I, I'm definitely going to do a little research on this marshmallow test because yeah, that makes super. all the sense in the world. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that I ever heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure what I would have done with a marshmallow if I was a kid and I had that well, sitting I in front of me. Well, I think back and I'm thinking I might have <laughs> eaten that yeah. thing because there were seven people at the table. My uncle lived with us. My grandma lived with us. And uh, we were all, you know, there looking at the same bowl of beans yeah we wanted our share right yeah so you get used to this like getting what you wanted yeah so somehow somehow it was what you could get yeah 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 Yeah. but my mom always made sure she said just because somebody's like like michelle obama just because somebody's going low you go high Mm -hmm. and my mom always used to say that she said just because somebody's in the gutter doesn't mean you have to climb in with them Mm -hmm. you know just because somebody does that to you doesn't mean you have to become them yeah and same thing with cussing and those kind of things. So, you know, you just have those little vignettes of memories in your life that kind of go back to say, maybe that's why one of the parts that helped me become who I am today, mm-hmm. you know, that contributed to the to the overall mass of who I am as a human being. Yeah, an awesome human being. Ah, thanks. I mean, thanks. an absolutely awesome human being. I, I just, I don't think I could fit enough in one podcast of just the engagement, the, the human engagement that I have experienced personally. We walked down this hallway. You asked each and every person how they were doing and saying hello to them. You were walking in the door, and we were getting ready to get set up, and you disappeared because you saw somebody you knew and mm-hmm. wanted to talk to them. Mm-hmm. That passion, that care, that genuine intention of wanting to know how people are doing mm-hmm. is something we don't see enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you and Amy and I were talking about, you know, how people say, how are you doing? And they truly don't care about it, but you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your Mini Cooper stories, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're starting your club of 57, right? 57 Mini Coopers in Juneau. 57 Mini Coopers. Yeah, 57 registered Mini Coopers in Juneau. When you find one that's not on your club, you, you have a, a welcome packet with a Ziploc bag that you put on their windshield mm-hmm. and hope they come to a meeting. Mm-hmm. And you go to the Mini Cooper dealership yeah. up here to get giveaways to have as door prizes for... Yeah meetings that you hold I mean you're just having fun Mm -hmm. and you're enjoying yourself and you're doing it at the same time of having it so that other people can have fun and selflessly kind of spreading the love yeah Uh, and I think that uh, I've had a lot of good fortune in my life a lot of love in my life Uh, you can see you know knowing Amy my wife she's just like an incredible human being I've got a lot of I've I've been graced by a lot of blessings in my life and it's it's um, you know I, and I got to keep spreading that because that's important. And I won't be on this earth, you know, for too many more years. And if I could just carry that message to other people, you know, if somebody gives you some goodwill, you pass it on to somebody else, and it makes the world a, a more beautiful place to live. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a great uh, a great way for us to close this out because they're setting up the uh, casino. Oh yeah, the casino S- night. setting up casino night in hey, here and thanks. Stan, I got to tell Gosh. you, this is this was uh, absolutely uh, awesome. I, I I hope that I can get up for the Juno Symphony or maybe a, oh yeah, a, we'll, well you got something. the program now. I yeah, think. I get yeah. the program. Yeah. Uh, in summertime, I look yeah. for the Christmas maybe the, lights. Maybe the Pops concert in yeah. June. Yeah, we have that Israeli American conductor with Jessica Cho, who's uh, uh, you know two degrees from. The, uh, uh, from uh, Juilliard School of Music and one from Peabody. Yeah. He's going to do the uh, Rhapsody in Blue piano concerto. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to love it. Well, That's I'll, June of this coming we'll, year. We'll have to figure out if I can make make my way there. I think that one of the things that I've I've, I've been I've been just really 
um, excited to explore is how to help arts and music and mm-hmm. and and programs for kids. Uh, we just finished up. We gave a, a check for one thousand five hundred and three dollars to the Fairbanks Youth Advocates Group, Santa Claus. That's where I was up at, in awesome. North Pole yesterday. That's great. And and some folks bought T-shirts here, so we're going to put another hundred bucks up there. So that's one thousand six hundred and thirty-three. I think one thousand six hundred thirty-three. We're going to do one hundred thirty dollars. I'm sorry, because two mm-hmm. people rounded up. That was nice of them to do. Um, and I've been trying to think about what I'm going to do because I give $3 of every shirt. I'm not sure if you're mm-hmm. familiar with the shirt program, but I sell my T-shirts. I give $3 of every shirt uh, as a representation of the 3 million foster and homeless children that we have in the United States to try to make a small, it's a small difference, mm-hmm. but if en- enough threes hit, mm-hmm. the number goes up. And that's a pretty impressive number it for is. a startup. It is. Right, right around 400 shirts and, yeah. uh, and people giving extra to. And uh, so my next mission on this, I think, is to look at some programs to try to help get some yeah. kids yeah. some opportunities because we've got some great yeah. talent. We've got kids that have such talent but can't afford a, a, an instrument or to be able to get into an art class or yeah. do even a robotics yeah. class or something. So we're going to yeah, we're going to look. Reminds at me of that uh, starfish story. I don't know if you know the starfish yes. story. Yes, yes, I, I mean, actually that's a great that story. To, me. you know, yeah. to that starfish, it makes a difference. Yep. Uh, you can't get to all of them, but you can get to one or two before the tide, you know, yeah, uh, goes out and dries them all up. But you want to throw them back in the water to save a few. Yeah, absolutely. And that's important because uh, that's how the world gets better. Yeah, one yeah. one at a time, one yeah. starfish time. If you want to see and hear more about the starfish story, just go to YouTube and do starfish story. There's a number of different renditions. One's as low as a minute and 46 seconds, mm-hmm. and one is the, the original story, which I think is from the... Mm-hmm. It's from the 60s, 50s or 60s. It's been, a, it's it's been, been around a long time. A long time. Yeah. yeah, it's like 14 minutes is the, the lengthened version with, with music that'll make you cry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it is a great story. So, um, Stan, I really appreciate you being here. We're going to go up. We're going to go. Uh, we're going to be here. I'm in Anchorage here for a couple more hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say that the Alaskans are just incredible. And we talk about resilient. Mm-hmm. This is We had a 7.2 magnitude earthquake yeah. that anywhere else that we they've experienced one that it was above yeah. five had fatalities casualties and chaos and I'm here two days later yeah. and the resiliency and, trim, trim, and, and yeah, we, well yeah we've, mm-hmm. we've had a couple of doozies this morning I mean and we're talking serious swaying and feeling of the pit in your stomach going uh-oh and then it stops mm-hmm. uh, but the people's smiling and work as usual as you could hear in the work in the background yeah. we're in a banquet hall mm-hmm. uh, has been mm-hmm. phenomenal and the, and mm-hmm. and always the open door policies of how everybody's so welcoming here is fantastic yeah. so yeah. alaska is uh, is drawn me because of that i think maybe because of my childhood i love being in a place where it's a majority of people are very accepting and wholesome and honest and up and, and they're candid but you know any dress attire fits here. You don't have to yeah. be in vogue to fit in. You don't have to be rich to fit in. You just have to be a good human being, and that's enough. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, enough. the way I dress, I, I, I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I fit in. There'll be yeah. pictures on social media of what I'm wearing today uh, and my uh, original well, Christmas garb. Well, thank yeah. you very you much. Great. Well, we're going to wrap this episode up. Stan and I are going to go have a celebratory drink. I'm going to make my way back to the East Coast so I can get to North Carolina, Ohio, Seattle, and uh, I'm not sure where else in the next week and a half or so. So I'm going to be putting some podcasts out for you, as always. I can't thank you all enough for listening, supporting, buying shirts, sharing, um, liking, and commenting, uh, and rating and reviewing. Still got a couple of shirts and 
books. I'm going to keep pushing. You know, I'm going to keep giving shirts and books away. If you mm-hmm. take, if you take the time, I know you're taking time out of your day to rate and and review my my podcast. But if you do that, that helps raise my mm-hmm. uh, raise my game and where I am and how I fit in the whole scheme of things. So if you rate and review and you don't have an obvious name that I can I know, drop me an email. I'll mm-hmm. send you a shirt. I'll send you one of David Cook's books. I got a couple of those left. If you don't know who he is, he's the author of From Paralysis to Purpose. I did a podcast with him a few weeks ago in a Starbucks in Madison, Wisconsin. Phenomenal human being with a great message. Um, but as always, BeAwesome.com, B-E-A-U-S-M.com. $3 of every shirt that's purchased online, in person, at the airport, in the air, wherever I am. Uh, we're going to be giving that to a worthy cause. We're going to have an announcement here in the next week or so uh, for the next for the next mission on that. But $3 is being set aside for every shirt that's purchased to help support homeless and foster kids in some capacity. Really appreciate the opportunity to help the Fairbanks Youth Advocates Group, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. You can find me there. Follow me. Connect with me. Let me know how I'm doing. Uh, in the meantime... Oh, we almost we almost had a catastrophe with a table fall. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to do awesome, you got to be awesome. Have a great week, everybody. And uh, thanks again, Stan. You're welcome.